Hello and welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and love history and also making things. So what have you been making? So uh, people might have seen on my Instagram when this goes up, it would it will be about a month ago. Time is confusing. Um, I have a copy of the Penguin Book of Knitting, which is a book of knitting patterns from 1957. Excellent. Uh, so I'm making myself a sweater vest from that, because oh. I've always wanted one, and oh. now I've just decided to do it. That's really cool. <laughs> it's got like three lines of cabling up the front. It's really it's really cute. Oh, I will. Is that on your Instagram? Because I haven't seen that. I will go check it out. Um, sweet. So, I've been looking at this YouTube channel and website a lot. I think the YouTube is Immaculate Bites, but the website is African Bites. It's like African and Caribbean food. Okay. And she has this mango lemonade recipe, oh. which is the most refreshing thing I've ever put in my mouth. That sounds amazing. It's. Nick, can you close the window? It's absolutely spectacular. I ended up making it because she says to put sugar in, and I didn't put any sugar in, which I cannot imagine having it with any sugar in because it was really sweet. Like that kind of sweet tartness you get with homemade lemonade. And then the mango is just really like... Can drinks be unctuous? Because I want to say unctuous. <laughs> I think mango can be unctuous. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm having needs. I will I will send you a link. Maybe I'll tweet a link. <laughs> that would be great, yeah. We can all have a virtual mango lemonade party. What have you been up to? Uh, so, yeah, on the subject of historical knitting... I recently discovered a YouTube channel called Engineering Knits, which is this woman who does a lot of historical knitting patterns, but she um, she kind of makes them really accessible and has tips on how to work with 19th century patterns and that kind of thing. Um, so I would really recommend that. Um, and also the Stitch in Time books, which I do not have, but... I really want, <laughs> and I might get one of them next month, um, but they have a lot of vintage or older knitting patterns that are kind of updated for the modern day. Um, those are really good. I have seen things knitted from those patterns and they are great. So that's the thing I really want to do. Um, haven't really, well, I did make gnocchi the other day. Nice. My first time making homemade gnocchi. Yeah, it came out pretty good. I think a little bit soft, but um, pretty tasty um, with a nice homemade tomato and basil sauce. So, yeah, they were good. And kind of relaxing to make, actually. Do you get into that kind of like meditative state that you get when knitting? Sort of, yeah, like you're doing doing the mashing and you're doing the kneading and then you just Yeah, just making the little the little gnocks. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> and shaping them. Seen- and, yeah, it's 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 kind of yeah, kind of therapeutic actually. So more gnocchi will be happening. So, what are we learning about today? Okay, get ready for some big facts about acorns. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, so I picked this one because it's starting to get a bit autumnal and I was, you know, out on a walk. Well, it's, it's actually kind of warm at the moment, <laughs> but nature is starting to get a bit autumnal and we've got so acorns. By the time this goes up, it'll be cold. Yeah, <laughs> one would hope, at least, please. And so I was sort of crunching along in this walk and, you know, acorns are falling. And I was like, hmm, I heard you can do things with acorns. I should find out more about that. And I did. And it turns out there is a whole episode's worth of acorn facts. So I hope you are ready for this. I ready, willing and able to learn about acorns. (laughs) That is what I love to hear. Um, and this, I mean, the way that this fits into bread and thread is that you can absolutely eat them. Um, you can, well, you shouldn't eat them raw because <laughs> they can be toxic. Um, I mean, they're probably not going to kill you, but they might give you a bad stomach ache if you ate a lot of them raw. Um, but they are toxic to horses, cows and dogs, um, which is a problem because horses will eat them. <laughs> See, the dog one is interesting because my dog used to like to pick up and eat green acorns off the floor. Interesting. Um, well, I hopefully not too many. <laughs> um, I think it's in large quantities that they can be fatal. So they, the reason that they taste horrible to eat is they contain a lot of tannins which makes them very, very bitter, Um, which is also the thing that is supposed to be good for you about wine, I think. But um, in acorns, it's just there's tons and they taste horrible. But with clever processing, they can be eaten and in some places were a staple food. Um, I I think I've vaguely heard of them being used for flour. Yeah, so I remember going to like an Iron Age day, I think, where they were making things from acorn flour, like little drop scones. And that's where I first heard of it. But it turns out there are, they've they've been eaten for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Um, So they can be made into flour. And like I said, they can be roasted. You can just eat them roasted. And you can also get acorn coffee, which technically isn't coffee. Like, it's not from the coffee bean, but it's made in the same way. Like, you roast them and then you grind them and then you have something that... In the same way that herbal teas aren't really teas. Yeah. (laughs) You end up with something that is kind of in the general ballpark of coffee, or at least satisfies that craving (laughs) if you can't get coffee, as we'll go into in a bit. Um, so favor. yeah so acorns of course are the fruit of the oak tree 
which is apparently native to uh, Europe, North America, and Western Asia, which is where a lot of the ancient uses of um, acorns come from. And of course, they've been planted all over the world, and they took off really well um, in America. In fact, are they native to North America? Um, they might be. You, you tell me. <laughs> I just, I was reading about this, but I can't remember if. But they, they may well be. Um, basically, everywhere in the northern hemisphere, you've got acorns. Um, <laughs> so, some years, you'll get an extra big crop, and that's called a mast year. So the mast of trees, the fruit of trees, is often called the mast. Um, and in a in sorry, uh, sorry. I got excited because I was reading about this the other day. Awesome, where? Um, Twitter. <laughs> I, I follow a lot of like conservationists and nature people. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. I mean, um, I follow both kinds of conservationists, but the nature kind specifically here. You're great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's as I'm sure you found out. It's a year when there's an extra big crop of acorns, um, and apparently that's because they they try and put out the, well the trees kind of put out so many, or save it all up for one year when they just put out so many that they can't possibly all get eaten by wildlife, and therefore some survive to become more oak trees. Um, but then in the year following you normally get very little to no crop at all because they used up all their energy in the last year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so a lot of ancient people um, took advantage of that to store up acorns in a must year to cover the winter and the, the deficit in the next year. Um, acorns were often eaten by the ancient Greeks and Japanese um, and lots of ancient peoples in famine times. Um, but they also could be a staple of the diet. So like in Iberia, um, they, they were pretty much a diet staple. And we know this because we've found evidence of them being prepared. So, for example, in a Neolithic site in South Korea, um, they found acorns or bits of acorn seed next to like hand grinders like showing that they were obviously being prepared for flour um so and cool. yeah that's how we know this kind of stuff <laughs> and so yeah they were they were often used um traditionally coming out of ancient times even um that way as a supplement to the diet especially in areas where there's a lot of acorns and sometimes they were kind of managed as such like there would be careful management of the forest in order to ensure uh, good access to acorns um, like for example you know who's really good at land management native americans what? so <laughs> yeah <laughs> so they were traditionally used by native americans especially in california um, as a fairly important part of the diet and people would you know store them up and store them carefully so that they didn't get mold because they contain quite a high percentage of fat apparently which means they 
they need to be stored carefully. Um, and then a lot of nuts do, don't they? It's it's like the thing about why peanut butter actually isn't super healthy after all. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's fat. but but they do give you a lot of energy because of that. Mm. Um, they are they're also very protein rich acorns, um, which is why they're a, they're sometimes an important part of the diet, especially in winter. Um, so yeah, especially in California, um, they would manage the forests in order to make sure that oaks were prominent, um, and that was done sometimes by controlled fires around the base of the oak because oaks are fairly pretty tolerant to that whereas other trees that might compete with the oak are not um, in order to you know, ensure a constant supply of acorns. Oh, it's like the most extreme weeding I've ever heard of. <laughs> it is a bit more exciting than just like, I don't know, getting a hoe and, <laughs> and scratching out some weeds. Um, so... There were a couple of particularly interesting foods that uh, traditional foods that I found out about as part of this. Um, there are some traditional Korean and Japanese foods made from acorns, and apparently, particularly in mountainous areas, these these would be popular. And they're still made today, although not so popular as with many traditional dishes um, that maybe are a bit tricky to prepare. But historically, in times when there's not much else, they would be key dishes. Um, but you can, interestingly, oh, no. um, yeah, interestingly, you can get these, they're acorn, acorn flour noodles. Um, and you can get them in some kind of upscale Korean supermarkets. Like, I guess you would get heritage varieties of things in Waitrose or, like, fancy supermarkets in the UK. noodles. Um, yeah, acorn noodle soup is a thing. Which sounds great. And also, there's a kind of jelly, which I'm going to pronounce terribly, but I think it's something like totori muk, which is an acorn jelly. Um, so very rich in protein and starch. And so they like leach the tannins out of the acorn and then make this jelly with it that's normally served kind of in a side dish cut up with some vegetables and stuff, which sounds delicious. And I really want to try it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that might be a little bit beyond my capabilities to make. So <laughs> that might have to wait a little bit. Um, yeah, so... Although you really don't hear about it much today, acorns are a lot more important in historical diets than you would think. Um, but not, not just in ancient history. Um, acorn coffee was used in the American Civil War and in World War II Germany um, specifically when they couldn't get supplies of coffee. So they used roasted ground acorns instead. The ersatz foods. Yeah. Yeah, like a good ersatz food. Which we should do an episode on ersatz foods. Oh yeah, that would be great. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll I'll do that for the next episode. Yeah, that's a good idea. Because I, I guess there's more stuff like mock turtle soup. 
There's mock apple pie as well. What? Yeah, and all sorts what? of like odd breads. Okay, I I'm looking forward to this just to find out what you put in apple pie that isn't apples but tastes like them. <laughs> Maybe you just put in regular apples, but you're just really mean to them. Wow. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, you got there eventually. I get it. You're mocking the apples. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's that's where I'm at. <laughs> so the thing is, and the thing that requires um, management sometimes of your oak trees is that oak trees don't bear acorns until they reach between 20 and 50 years old. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it really is like a long-term plan kind of thing. Um, and like you've got to – oak trees live a really, really long time. Um, but if you've got loads of really old ones and then they die, then you're kind of stuck for your acorns. Um, so yeah, that's that's something I didn't know. And there's a wonderful German folk tale that uses this fact. So the story is that a German farmer made a bargain with the devil for the prosperity of his farm, and he made this bargain that the devil could have his soul, but only as long as he waited until the farmer's first crop had been harvested. So that seems a pretty a pretty simple bargain, right? But as with a lot of these stories in which the humble farmer or woodcutter or whatever outwits the devil, the farmer plants acorns as his first crop, <laughs> thus ensuring himself a very long life. <laughs> before his first crop is ready to harvest. That's genius. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's so very German, I feel. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's a lot of stories from that area specifically that are like, ah, what's this? <laughs> I just, the, the, like, humble person tricking the devil is one of my favourite tropes in folklore. Um... So, yeah, given, I mean, it kind of makes sense that given there's so many oaks all over the place, it would kind of become a symbol in folklore. Apparently, um, the ancient Roman goddess Diana was often depicted wearing a necklace of acorns. Um, and it's a symbol in, in lots of places. Um, and it was, was another story about Charles the... Charles the first or Charles the second hiding in an oak yes. tree? The story goes that he was, you know, fleeing from the uh, parliamentarians in the English Civil War and was hidden up an oak tree overnight. And this is why a, a lot of pubs in England at this point are called the Royal Oak. <laughs> There's so many. There's one 15 minutes down the road from me. <laughs> I have to look up right now where my nearest Royal Oak pub is. <laughs> Probably close. Let's, let's see if I can beat 15 minutes. <laughs> I've got a note here, like, as with basically every Bread and Thread episode, there's a pub link in this. 
There is a pub a three minute drive from my house called the Royal Oak. Excellent. <laughs> it's the one that I walked past on the way to the sweet shop. I mean, I know we were going to do a, like a, a road trip involving several pubs, but there is no way we can possibly visit every single Royal Oak pub in the UK. <laughs> like, we're not doing that. Maybe post lockdown, I'll just go to the one by me. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we can have a socially distanced drink in our respective Royal Oaks. So, after all this, I assume you're wondering, but how do I prepare acorns into something I can eat? Well, um, you can. And I got these methods of a fantastic article from the Woodland Trust called Are Acorns Edible? And Other Acorn Facts. So I will put a link to that so you can... What's the title of this article? Are There Acorn Facts? Uh, no, it's Are Acorns Edible? And Other Acorn Facts. <laughs> Just in case you were wondering. I like the idea, though, of titling an article like are there acorn facts? <laughs> I don't know. Does anyone Only have acorn lies. <laughs> Only acorn fake news. <laughs> um, acorn. Fake on. I was thinking that, and then I was like, don't say it. Ah, I have no such impulse. Fake on news. <laughs> Does anyone who listens to my other podcast know? <laughs> it's guaranteed one of us is going to make the pun. <laughs> so anyway you can roast acorns with a bit of salt for 15-20 minutes on a high heat and apparently they are crunchy and delicious um and after you've roasted them you can also add them to stews so that's one to think about to make acorn coffee um so to make the, the acorn flour or the acorn coffee you have to leach out the tannins and you do this by either soaking them in cold or hot water. Cold water takes longer, but it leaves intact the kind of the floury, the starch and the stuff that makes it turn into flour. So if you're making acorn flour, you need to cold leach. For coffee, you can hot water leach with boiling water. And that's much quicker. You can do it in about an hour or so, whereas uh, cold leaching takes a few days, maybe. So with coffee, you like hot leach the tannins, then you roast them, and then you grind the acorns, and then you brew it like normal coffee. Um, but to make acorn flour, you do cold leaching so that the, the like floury stuff is still there, and then you can just grind them, and you get fluffy like acorn flour, which you can use in like biscuits or bread or like kind of whatever really you can use it almost like grain flour so i would uh, yeah. love to try that We're me going too soon. maybe we should see if we can find some acorns as well yeah oh, Definitely I, I, do that. I found a thing about how you can make soap from conkers okay i if i find enough conkers i will report back yeah Also, I'm pretty sure that if you're just roasting them, you do need to leach them first. So, Yeah, that makes sense if they're highly toxic. Otherwise, they'll probably still be... I mean, I don't think they're highly toxic for humans. 
but just like they won't taste nice. <laughs> so, Nick, as the person that likes coffee, what do you think of the idea of trying acorn coffee? It's the best waking juice. Can Can you answer in a serious way, please? Yeah, why not? <laughs> We we have such a strong statement there. <laughs> I reckon it's definitely tryable. I'm not a coffee fan generally, but I I try it. I want to try acorn I really like, do biscuits. Bitter. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and they're kind of bitter anyway, so I don't know. But <laughs> I mean, according to uh, our acorns edible and other acorn facts. Acorn coffee is naturally caffeine free, has a unique taste, and while unlike traditional coffee, it's is not still... a promising phrase. Yeah, I know. Apparently, it's delicious and warming, though. Like, earwax has a unique taste. <laughs> and is unlike traditional wax. You know what to eat it? No. <laughs> So what's the local ladder today? I it once because of Harry Potter, but... Oh, those. Yeah. yeah, you can get the beans, can't you? No, I mean I tried it because I read the first book. Oh, like actual earwax. earwax. Okay. In my defence, I was very small. <laughs> I don't think it was portrayed positively in the book. No, but it made me curious. <laughs> I kind of went like, oh, I, I don't know what that tastes like. I ah, can yes. find out. This is definitely explaining a few things about Liz's personality. I'm Mod Paper from Probably Bad RPG Ideas, and we have a podcast. If you'd like to hear RPG advice on how to use assorted incredibly bad ideas as actual ideas in an actual game, then listen to the Probably Bad podcast, available on pretty much every podcatcher. And remember to have a probably bad day. That's all you need to know. <laughs> anyway, local ladder time. Yes. Um, not really a local this time, but I feel like it's small and it merits talking about. Um, blue raspberry. What now? Blue raspberry. I thought that was just, like, a made-up flavour. It is, but it turns out it has a fun story. Okay. Um, so, before sort of the late 50s, a lot of raspberry things um, were coloured with a dye called amaranth, which is unrelated to the, the grain. Oh, okay. Um, and then the um, sort of food safety people in the US went, wait, this is probably not actually good for you. And it became this sort of big thing of like, oh, the the color that they use for the raspberry drinks is incredibly un unhealthy and it's going to kill you. Um, so they basically needed to stop making raspberry flavored things this deep red color i see um, which was also useful anyway just to differentiate it more because then you could 
show off more colors and attract children. Um, <laughs> Ethical marketing. Yeah. So, um, where's it gone? Yeah, so this brand of uh, slushies in America called Icy. Good name. Um, spelled I-C-E-E. Oh, no. Um, in the 70s, ended up dyeing their new raspberry flavour bright fluorescent blue. Oh, God. <laughs> which, I mean, that, that doesn't sound like it would be better for you than bright red. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> bright red, which probably wasn't that bad for you in the first place. <laughs> um, considering, you know, the tiny amounts that you use for these things. Mm-hmm. But it was such a contrast with their existing colours um, to sort of red cherry. You got some um, sort of bright yellow lemon or pineapple flavoured things that it was just this huge pop of colour. And obviously that's not a food colour. No. So in this, this best-selling thing of just the blue drink. Mmm, <laughs> blue flavour. But, I mean, I think the best part is that, you know how blue raspberry doesn't actually taste of raspberry? I mean, yeah, I've not had much of it, but I imagine that would not be a particularly authentic raspberry taste. Well, apparently the flavour of most blue raspberry things is a combination of banana, cherry and pineapple. Okay. Which I guess you do need to do something with the colour of that because otherwise it's going to be just the worst colour if yeah. you combine those. I guess so blue raspberry is more kind of an aesthetic name. Yeah. But it's still this huge flavour. This huge flavour. Like if you've ever got an ice pop, there's always a blue raspberry flavour. I do remember those. Huh. Or just like any sort of artificially fruit flavored sweet there's gonna be a blue raspberry one mm -hmm. wow and just because just of a combination of icy having blue in their logo so they lent towards blue and this absolute health freak out in the 50s <laughs> <laughs> but interestingly there is a kind of raspberry that is blue Okay. Which is native to basically the western third of North America. Like, it goes all the way from um, Alaska down through the US down to um, Chihuahua, Mexico. Wow. Um, it's called the whitebark raspberry or um, Rubus leucodermis. But it is completely unrelated to blue raspberry flavour. Huh. And probably was not even a factor in making the raspberry flavour blue. <laughs> what? I've never really thought about this before, but... I, I guess the more you know. Yeah. See, so not 
not really a local ladder, but I think, yeah, something that merited talking about, even <laughs> if it wasn't big enough for its own episode. Oh, yeah, that's definitely, like, a cool small fact. Yeah. Although it doesn't really make me that warmly disposed to blue raspberry flavoured things. I still love it. <laughs> I, it's it's that colour. I already knew it was incredibly artificial. I just like the taste of it. Fair enough. Wow. I have learned much today. So um, before we wrap up, I do want to just mention we're making a couple of changes to Patreon. Um, the one and five pound or dollar or whatever currency levels are staying the same. At one, you get access to the Discord server. At five, there's monthly bonus recipes. Um, we're going to try something a bit different where at the 10 level, which I believe is the cake level, um, we will make a short bonus episode on whatever bread and thready topic that you want and send it directly to you. I mean, think about that. Bread and thread on demand. So... Head to patreon.com slash bread and thread if you want to make us talk about whatever your heart desires. <laughs> we we will do it. We are simple creatures. You give us the money, we say the thing. <laughs> we we find facts and <laughs> and say them. Oh, by the way, I checked and oak trees are native to North America and basically the whole northern hemisphere. Excellent. Yeah, and actually, North America has the most species of oak, so you're doing good. Good job, North America. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> so we hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have a suggestion for an episode or a local larder, um, you can email breadandthreadpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at breadandthread, um, and we mentioned our Patreon as well, patreon.com slash Bread and thread. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, so we'll see you next time. <laughs>